The live opinions, descriptions, and accounts expressed on the Best of Times Radio Hour are those of the hosts and the guests of this show, and not necessarily those of Town Square Media or this station. Consult with your attorney, accountant, or other professional for final advice in making your decision. The Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana. Celebrating age and maturity. Helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The best of times. Your host, Gary Coligas. Good morning, Architects listeners. I'm Gary Coligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only news magazine for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning into our show today. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about the latest in eye treatment. So stay tuned to the show for some very interesting and beneficial information for you or your loved ones. It is Saturday, January the 23rd, and we are broadcasting our radio show today live from the studios of News Radio 710 KLA Town Square Media Station here in wonderful, chilly Shreveport, Louisiana. Hey, it's not snowing. That's it's good. not snowing. That is, <laughs> I talked to my friends in Washington, D.C., and one of them called me and says, would you fly up here and help me shovel the snow out of my driveway? No, thanks. I said, hell, <laughs> how can I get there yeah, anyway? He says, once I get there, I'll be stuck. He says, yeah, and then you could help us do it the whole weekend. Nope. That's nope, okay. nope, 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 nope. We'll pass. Well, we're, we're happy. It's nice and chilly and cold, and even some of our guests are wearing short sleeves. I mean, this is like summertime in the... It's crazy in, stuff. It's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. <laughs> But we have a great show today. We have a lot of a lot of information to give, and I have, there's been so many great happenings in the Shreveport and Bossier City area. Last night we went to see Frankie and the Four Seasons at the uh, Horseshoe Casino, and it was remarkable. Wow, it brought back memories. A two-hour concert. He's 81 years old. Mm-hmm. He didn't take a break in two hours. Wow. Wow. I had to take a break. Go ahead. I had to, I had to take a break. I, I hope to, I'm like that at 81. At 80, he was, wow, full of energy, and he was so positive about the Shreveport and Bossier City area. It just made us all, all feel good. Though 99% of the people in there were from Texas, but it's all right. That he, I don't think he figured that one out. Yeah, visitors. It, we like that. Oh, we, we, a lot of visitors. A lot of visitors. And tonight we have the Shreveport Symphony um, performance at 7.30 at Riverview Theater. Make sure there are tickets available. We have the Weidman uh, piano uh, finalists at this particular concert tonight. So, again, if you want to experience the symphony, tonight is the night to do that. The third item was uh, there was a celebrity auction hosted by the foster grandparents uh, a a couple of weeks ago, and yours truly was part of the 25 people of celebrities in the area, the media celebrities, the television personalities, And nobody asked me. And no, I'm sorry. Next time I will make sure you're invited. But I got... uh, Maybe I didn't. I got somebody bid on me. requirement. I don't know. Some young lady bid on me, or her group of ladies bid on me, which Tina thought that was not very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the group of ladies bid on you, Gary? Yes, that's what happened. And uh, she will be on our show. I want to congratulate her. Her name is Nikita Dimry, and she is from the Shreveport area. And we're going to be doing a lot of things, including she's going to be making her debut on the Best of Times Radio Hour in probably in March. We look forward to having her. We do. Be sure to pick up the January's The Best of Times at some of our 522 distribution locations. It is a very popular issue. We do thank you for your comments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. If you're unable to find a copy, of course, you can go to our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com. We appreciate the feedback we are getting from our first first survey, a reader survey. Uh, we appreciate your 
the many hundreds of people have already contacted us via our uh, submitting mail-in reader survey or going online to complete our survey. The comments have been remarkable. We do appreciate all of those. And uh, you still have time to, to submit them by February the 14th. You can go on our website or you can pick up the January issue of the Best of Times and complete that and send it to us. The uh, wine, art, and music event will take place on February the 11th at Boomtown Casino and Resort. It is, again, on Thursday, February the 11th. Wine, art, and music uh, sponsored by Boomtown Casino and the Bossier, uh, Arts Bozier City Arts Council. So for more information, call 741-8310. That's 741-8310. Remember to log on to our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com for listening of announcements made during today's radio show, as well as information about upcoming events, activities, and news that you can use. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, probably presented by A-Bears, Tending Country of Shreveport, Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep Dealers. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by Avers, town and country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest. is Mr. Ernie Robertson, who is the Registrar of Voters, and I've asked him to come to our show to give our reminders to our listeners out out there and throughout the radio land about the upcoming elections that will take place on Saturday, March the 5th. Saturday, March the 5th, and it's uh, the presidential preference primary. Presidential preference primary. It's not the presidential election. That's in November. This presidential preference primary is throughout the state of Louisiana. And uh, it is a closed primary election. What does that mean? All right. What that means, it's the only time we run this, and it's every four years. It's at the choice of the parties. doesn't have anything to do with the Secretary of State, Registrar of Voters, or Clerk of Court. That's my disclaimer. And the parties chose. And so what it means is that the Democrats uh, are going to have a primary. The Republicans are going to have a primary. You can express your preference, but the Democrats only allow... Democrats to vote in their primary, and the Republicans chose to only allow Republicans to vote in their primary. So if you are a no party, uh, another party, Green Reform, Libertarian, or if you don't have a party, uh, you can't vote in that portion of the election. But, Gary, we do have three other elections that day. So uh, you could vote in one of those if you're in the district. But they won't be able to vote for their preference of the Democratic nominee for right. president or the Republican. That's correct. And and what? how do you know that? It's on the card? Or do you, when you show it to them, or they automatically know it when you come and register to vote? Right. Well, you can uh, choose a party or not choose a party when you register to vote. So if you did choose a party, uh, then we'll go by that party choice, which is uh, on your voter record. You can look it up at catovoter.org, and you just go to uh, Am I Registered? And you can look up your voter information. And then also, uh, whenever you go to the polls, it's actually on the poll book. And, of course, when you come in to vote, we have it on the computer screen. And we will ask you, because we have all the information, uh, when you come in to early vote, and that's February 20 through 27, 
uh, closed on the intervening Sunday. When you come in to vote, we will ask you, uh, we have you as, say, a Democrat, and these are the choices. Now, before you vote, we're confirming that you are a Democrat and that we have to do that uh, for really because we don't want you to go down there and then say, I don't want to vote on these candidates. So we try to get that straight before you go to vote. Oh, okay. Okay, the, the, the question was raised by, I brought that up last night at the, the, the Four Season concert. For uh, that, Did you ask Frankie? What did Frankie think? But no telling. Well, he, he, he brought up both candidates, well, both primary candidates for the Republican and the Democrat on stage, which I thought was cute. Um, so with the question I have, and I think several, what's the latest date you can change your party affiliation? February the 3rd is the drop-dead deadline Not date. Not March the 5th. No, March the 5th is the election date. So you can't walk, I can't walk into my precinct no. and say I want to change today. No, and some states allow that, but not in Louisiana. It's a 30-day close in Louisiana, and the 30th day is February the 3rd. And so you can go in there and you can change your party, or you can come into our office and change your party. You can mail it in if you want to. Uh, you can give us a call. We'll mail you a form. The or you mail it, online. you mail your card in. Is that what you mean? You, you could uh, use your card to mail that in and say, I wish to change my party, too. You don't have to, though, Gary. You can actually write it on a piece of paper and put on there, uh, I wish to change my party from the party you're in now to the party you want to be in and put your name and sign your name and then also put your uh, birth date on there. And I always say put your phone number in case we need to call you. And mail it in, but you got to remember you're dealing with the mail. So, if you, so tomorrow or the next day would be about the appropriate time to mail it. Okay. The the other point, which I I can't tell you how many uh, other states have got me confused, and some of my friends in in Texas and other right. places. The there is a major primary being done on March the first. Is that correct? In that's certain right. states, that's the, biggie, states. that's the biggie one. It's on Tuesday. Right. It's on Tuesday and, in Louisiana. And we're not on no, that day. No, no. Uh, we actually, this this primary was moved to March the 5th, I think at the behest of the national parties, uh, to get closer to that March the 1st. But we don't do a Tuesday election unless it is a fall federal election, oh. such as uh, the presidential election or the off-year congressional election. Okay, another person went to ask me last night, so how do do they have to show their ID to, uh, when they vote? Yes, you uh, show your ID when you vote. If you don't have your ID, then you have to fill out uh, what's called uh, an affidavit, and then uh, you verify some information that's actually in the poll book. And uh, once you've done that, then you can go vote. Same story uh, when you come in to early vote. And we do have a few people do, uh, do that. We were part of a a study, a national study last year, and I think we had about a dozen people during early voting who actually didn't bring their ID, so we used an affidavit with them. So we want to encourage out there. Lately, there have been a few elections. I've been seeing you on the media that our turnout has not been that great, right? No, last year was pretty soft. We had a, of course, we had a big rain in the primary, and then even when we had the uh, runoff and the and the weather was good, uh, we still were only at about 38%, which was below even what, and I'm tend to be a little bit optimistic, but I thought we'd at least get to 44, 45, and we didn't get there, which was uh, kind of unusual as considering all the money that was spent. So uh, I would just say, you know, it's always up to the candidates uh, to motivate people to go vote and to organize and get people to go vote. 
Okay, let's let's pick on those young people. Is it t- tending to be the the people like me, the 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 senior mature adults that tend to vote more than the youngers? And why won't the younger people vote? Okay, I'll say it: gray hair and gray power. Because uh, in that election, uh, about I think I'm right on this. Well over two thirds of the people who went to vote uh, were 55 and above, and the great majority of the people were 45 and above. And I think what it is with uh, some of the younger voters, they just aren't in tune with the candidates. The messages aren't getting to them. And uh, also, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, I'm going to say this, but the scattering of the media, uh, the various sources of information sometimes, whatever it is that young people are tuned into, uh, the message isn't getting to them, or the candidates just don't excite them. It's well, and the, the sad information I hear from a couple of my uh, younger people that I deal with occasionally, because I do ask them, they feel their vote doesn't count. And I told mm-hmm. the I told the young man, I says, you know, if everybody had that same philosophy, there'd be our country would be run by just a few people that are voting. I mean, you should your vote. You need to tell other people to vote. Say yes or no. Don't say don't want to go. Apathy is going to going to hurt us, right? That's true, and uh, you know, really, when you look at it, we're 86 percent registered. Uh, the people who are uh, 18 and above the registrable age, and then whenever you turn it down and you say you got a 40 percent turnout, then really it's only about 34 percent of the people who could have registered who are actually making the decisions, and half of that could make the decision. So you're talking about 17. Seventy and a half percent. Okay, so a reminder to all of our listeners out there to tell your families and friends if you want to vote for the pre- presidential preference election that's coming up on March the fifth, you must have a designation of uh, party designation, and you can change this. By the way, right. Ernie, right? That's right. You can change it to a party, and then when the election's over, if you want to change it to another party, you can do that. So those of you that want to vote for the Republican or Democratic particular nominee that I've been hearing that a lot of interesting interests, if you're independent or some other party or no party, you won't get to have that opportunity. Is That's that right? correct. And please, uh, if you do, we do have people. I have one of my staff members out at the uh, Shreve Memorial Libraries, I think Monday, Wednesday, and Friday this week. And check our schedule at cattlevoter.org and go by there and uh, and uh, change your party if you want to. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank that was you very quite much, educational. Gary. I hope we've educated quite a few of our listeners out there to, to make that change real quickly so they can make their preference uh, in the upcoming March 5th election. Thank you again. Thank you. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears, Dunning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A Bears, Dunning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas. I do thank you for listening to our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Joining me on my show today are some special guests. is Dr. Christopher Shelby and Dr. Weiss Coleman, who are principal physicians, eye surgeons, and ophthalmologists with the Paramount Eye Institute at several locations here in the Shreveport and Bossier City area. Welcome, docs, on our show today. Thanks for having us, Gary. Yeah, thank you, Gary. Uh, again, I want you to be able 
Well, you, you've helped thousands and thousands of my listeners and friends, and I think I told you before the show today, uh, people came up to me and they already heard the promos about our show, and, and, and I had had some of your patients and ex-patients want me to ask you questions, and I asked one gentleman, I said, so why didn't you ask Dr. Shelby this when you were in his office? I don't know. I was embarrassed. And, uh, well, a lot of people think about their questions about 15 minutes after they leave. Yeah, and the, the so does Gary when he comes to visit you. <laughs> I, I will admit, I am, I, uh, you see me, and I, I do ask you 50 questions or more sometimes, right? You do, but that's okay. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, this month is National Glaucoma Month, that I was told. And uh, let's let's talk about that, that the disease. Is it classified as a disease? Or, or it, it's, it's a disease state, basically. State. So glaucoma just means... High pressure in the eye that damages the nerve, which causes loss of vision uh, over time. And now there's numerous types of glaucoma. So what causes it? Do we know? Not really sure yet. The, the, the most common one we see is called primary open angle glaucoma. What that means is that when we look at the eye, the pressure is elevated, but the anatomy of the eye is completely normal. So it's either too much fluid being produced in the eye or there's not enough being drained out. So, it, it, what do we? We don't know. Is it symptomology based upon what I eat, drink, uh, see, do that I will get glaucoma? Not necessarily. <clears throat> the, there, there are some uh, uh, risk factors. You know, okay, age what are being one. Oh, age. Sure. As we get older, the the white part of the eye, the sclera, becomes a little more rigid, and so it's a little more resistant to outflow. So, just like a, a pipe in an old house that begins to get clogged up. It doesn't drain fluid near as, uh, as quickly. And so that over time, the pressure builds up a little bit. Uh, there's uh, African-Americans are at much higher risk of having glaucoma, uh, family history, things like that. So uh, going, going back, how are you <coughs> tested? Uh, we just test pressure. Like people come in. The scary thing about glaucoma is it causes what I call cave blindness. Like if you've ever been to Carlsbad Cavern or something like that, you uh, you're in this cave, and they turn the lights off. Mm-hmm. There's no light anywhere. And that's what happens when the optic nerve is completely injured. And so one of the problems with the primary opening of glaucoma is it's completely painless. And you lose peripheral vision first. And so uh, most patients who have it don't know they have it, and they don't oh. know those early symptoms of it until they come in. Uh, if we see that their pressure is high, we then look at their optic nerve, the optic nerve can have some changes to it. Then we run tests to see if there's been any damage. Okay, I was always wanting to ask you this, all the many years I've seen you. So when you go into your offices, and you go into probably other ophthalmologists, I don't know if the latest, greatest, it's the little puff machine, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. No, yeah. We don't have an air puffer in our office. Do you have one? Uh, <coughs> we do. You do, okay. We still, we still do. We have what's, one the, what's, we, what's the other way to do it? I've no, never there's had a few ways to do it. You know, the air puffer is the most hated way to check <laughs> pressure by far. I was always concerned. How does it know? How does I, does I have to keep my eye open? I think I close my eye every time it puffs that. Go ahead. I'm you know, sorry. it's a pretty good screening tool. We've got, I got different ones because I got so many complaints about the air puffer. You might want to get rid of that one. I know. Well, we still get I, complaints. And, of course, we say, oh, no, no, it's not bad and puff. Okay, so there is a different one. I haven't tried the new one. So what else There's is several there? different ones. There's some new ones, yeah. There's one that just bounces a little, uh, it's almost a little, like, plunger, a little with a little uh, rubber tip. It lightly bounces it off your cornea about five or six times. You barely even feel it. That's what we just got. So you should try it. It's the eye care tonometer. It's, uh, it's a new one. 
It's supposed to be very, very accurate. It's, uh, so it's the, less hated than the uh, Less hated. That's right. Yeah. We're always looking for the easier, softer way. Okay, we're talking about new eye treatments, so new diagnostic <laughs> treatments. This is amazing. I've, I've learned something new today. I, d- I didn't know that there was a difference. So that's been around the, the standard, right? right, Dr. Shelby? That one's been around a long time, the buffer. It, it, it has been around a long We call it a non-contact because it doesn't touch the eye. And, but like Dr. Coleman says, it is hated. I remember going to the eye doctor when I was younger. I hated it. You know, and so, but it's one of those numbers we have to get. And like Dr. Coleman said, one of the problems with the puff is that then we have to bring them back. And generally, I'm having to do manual uh, tonometry on them, which is where we do it actually in the exam room itself. So, what does that? Well, I had people ask me. So, what is the what does the puff or the other instrument do? It tells you you have high pressure within a certain range. You're higher. Well, it's really sort of just a screening tool. The air puffer and a lot of those things that we do when you walk into the office, they're not giving us a a perfectly accurate number. So, for example, if someone's then diagnosed with glaucoma, that's not the most accurate way to measure pressure. It's a good screening tool to say, is their pressure high or is it not high? But once we say, yeah, it may be high, then we want to check it with the actual applination tonometer that touches the front of the eye. That's the standard in measuring eye pressure, which every other measurement tool is measured against. If a person is diabetic, would he have possibly more possibility of having glaucoma? You know, um, that's one of those loaded questions because early diabetes, um, generally not. There are certain forms of of damage you can get from diabetes that, yes, can cause pressure to go up pretty high, but generally there's uh, other things involved with that. And usually the, the eye is a contained system, and so it actually, the pressure of the eye is generally independent of things like blood pressure. You know, most people want to know, is yeah. my blood pressure related to the eye pressure? True. Generally, it's not. I mean, it, it, it can help to prevent damage from glaucoma, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, but usually that's, like Dr. Coleman said, we basically are doing it on everybody as a screening tool because then what we do is we dilate the eyes and we actually look at the optic nerve head. And that's one of the things we're doing when we look in the back of your eye. And you can see if there's any type of damage or possible damage, correct? Correct. The optic nerve <clears throat> has a characteristic appearance in people who have glaucoma. Oh. There's a depression in the optic nerve head. It's a little tiny depression where the retinal vessels originate from. And when that is, it, when that is enlarged, that's, what we know, that's how we know that someone's at risk for glaucoma. So people can have that enlargement with normal eye pressure. People can have that change to the optic nerve head and not have glaucoma. So anytime we see somebody with a high pressure or an optic nerve that looks suspicious, that's where we'll do some more testing. We can actually optically measure the optic nerve thickness now. We can do a lot of other tests to say who's at risk for progression and vision loss and who's not. So, you know, the most compelling reason for a routine eye exam okay, is probably the risk for glaucoma. So oh. you see people say, I'm seeing fine. I've always seen fine. I've never been to the mm-hmm. eye doctor. It's worth getting checked you know, every few years just to make sure you're not at risk for glaucoma because it's something you'll lose a lot of vision and you will never know it. Right. You will lose it without even knowing it. Absolutely. And, and, and it's not... cannot get that vision. I was going to ask you, is it reversible, treatable? So, so if a person is diagnosed by either one of you having glaucoma, what do you do? What's the, what's the typical treatment in the old days or current day? Yeah, usually, uh, of course... We focus on the goal, which is to get the pressure down. Okay. And so we generally have a, a goal, uh, a pressure point that we want to get it to. And the gold standard used to be uh, drops, you know, medications. And, uh, and the drops do what? The, the drops either reduce the amount of fluid that's produced or they increase the, the fluid that's drained. 
Uh, a lot of drops now do a combination of both. And you do that daily, every so often. I, I, I'm not diagnosed, luckily, with glaucoma. So you, you do it daily? Daily, forever. Forever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, once you've been diagnosed with glaucoma, that's and after billions and billions of dollars, it's pretty interesting, have been spent on researching glaucoma. We know there's many, many factors who, that lead to your risk for glaucoma. The only factor we know how to influence to keep it from getting worse is still eye pressure. The only thing we can do is lower the eye pressure. So we have options to do that, and they're basically eye drops, glaucoma laser, um, glaucoma surgery, and recently we have a new procedure that's a little microscopic implant that's about a tenth of a millimeter in diameter and about a, less than a millimeter long that you can implant at the time of cataract surgery, which wow. lowers the eye pressure. So that's, and, that's, and that's pretty the new, good. And that's the new eye stint? That's the new eye stint, yeah. We, we've been doing that for a few months now, and it's a, it's a new technology. It looks like, based on the studies that have been done, that it's really good. It doesn't increase the risk profile of cataract surgery at all. So for people who have cataracts and glaucoma, it's a great option to make them less dependent on eye drops. So who are the candidates for that type of this new type of technology that's now offered in the area? Wow, that's the, I'm really proud of both of y'all. The, the perfect candidate is somebody who has cataracts and a history of glaucoma, and they're currently on one or, or more medications. And what we've known for a long, long time is certain types of glaucoma, like I was telling you before, as we get older, it's more common for the pressure to go up. And so then you get the diagnosis of glaucoma. So taking the cataract out in and of itself could bring the pressure down in quite a few people, you know, up to 40% or so. And the nice thing about the eye stent is we put it in at the time of cataract surgery. So that's the eye stent patient is a glaucoma patient who has uh, a cataract. When we put that uh, eye stent in, which only takes a few more minutes at the end of the case, so it doesn't uh, increase the time all that much, does not increase discomfort or anything like that, over time, that takes that 40% up to close to 80-85% of those patients, their pressure drops to a range where they can either be off drops completely uh, or their drops are reduced dramatically. Well, I don't think we need to go on the great technical, technical aspects, but a stent, to me, uh, explain to a layman's term here, how is, what are you attaching the stent to? The, the, not the optic nerve, I don't think, right? No, not the optic nerve, to the drain in the front of the eye. And this is tough oh, to explain without sort of a visual aid. You know, the, the fluid in the front of the and eye. And this is, is extremely small. Tiny. Oh, yeah. You can If you drop it, it's probably gone forever. You'll have to go just get another one out. Whoa. Um, it's, uh, it's so small you can barely see it when it's not under the microscope. It's, it's actually the smallest implant ever placed in the human body that we know of. And uh, it's, you know, the fluid in the front of the eye is made back behind the iris, the colored part of the eye. It flows through the pupil. And it goes out through a drain that sort of surrounds the cornea, the clear part on the front of the eye, which goes back into your venous system. And it goes through a a, a structure called the trabecular meshwork. And that's where a lot of the resistance to the fluid draining out is. So in glaucoma, it's almost like the the water's still on, but the drain stopped up. Oh, it stopped up. So this stent's helping it relieve. It's sort of opening the drain and putting a little opening there to allow some more fluid to flow out, thereby lowering the eye pressure and reducing the progression of glaucoma. Wow. I, again, I'm, I'm amazed how small it is. I saw some photos of it. Chris was showing me some. That is so tiny. And you use, of course, very high-powered microscopes and surgical tools to implant this particular stent, correct? Correct. Yeah. Wow. In fact, like I was telling you in the clinic, you know, with, with general cataract surgery, uh, we have some magnification, you know, of course, doing cataract surgery. And then once we, we go to place the eye stent, we increase that magnification 10 to 12 times. 
10 to 12 times. Yeah, 10 to 12 times to be able to see that drain. And it's actually, uh, it's kind of like looking through a telescope if you've ever done that. You know, you, you look through a telescope and it's a whole different world. <laughs> and we're able to see that anatomy very nicely. Uh, allows us to place that stent, like Dr. Coleman said, right in that little drain. Um, and for us, it's been, it's been a, a wonderful adjunct to our practice because these patients, because uh, look, I'm a terribly bad compliant patient. Uh-oh. I've told my patients before is if I had glaucoma, first of all, I'd have the laser done first before starting you know, a medication because I'm non-compliant. You know, that's just my human nature. Uh, but if I had to have cataract surgery and I had glaucoma, I would absolutely have this done because like Dr. Coleman said, there's no drawback to it, literally. And so even if the pressure is still a little bit elevated, you can still be on drops. It doesn't prevent you from having an MRI or going to the metal detector at the uh, airport. <laughs> it's so small. It's, let's hope it won't be picked up. That, that, that is really tight. I don't uh, think the TSA will be catching that. No, that's, that's <laughs> I think right. they miss like half the guns that go through. Oh, that, that's, don't mention that to them. We, we love them out there. They, they're trying to protect us as much as we can. As, as, as much as we can. So, but go, I think my listeners out there are probably a little confused. Only if you have cataracts and glaucoma, and can have this particular procedure? At, at the present time, yes. So if we were in Europe, that would be a different case. We'd be able oh. to do it as a standalone procedure. But the FDA, oh, oh, that's also reason. protecting us all, is has only approved it for people with cataracts at the time of cataract surgery. So far, we, we anticipate a time in the future that we're able to do it as a standalone procedure, which will be great. But right now, we're only doing it with cataract surgery. So, And the reason, do we know? I hate to ask political Combat. Well, you know, the, the, the reason is is we're go, every time you go inside the eye, there's a risk, although it's very, very small, of getting an infection. An infection in the eye is a horrible, horrible thing, and we, we put antibiotics in the, in the eye after we do surgery nowadays, which should reduce the rate to real, real low, like 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 50,000 or less. Um, but there is a, a, a small risk, and we've got to decide whether the risk-benefit ratio is worth taking. So since you're already inside the eye doing the cataract surgery, then you're not increasing your infection risk by putting this extra, sure. extra device in. But if you were to do a standalone procedure and go in the eye just for that okay, purpose, that. then we're not sure that the benefit of having it outweighs the risk of a complication that in, that's involved whenever you go inside the eye. So even though those risks are low, we haven't got a good data to, to show that balance is worth it yet, but we think we will in the near future. And, but the, the positive aspects, if you could do that, those people would have to be taking drops every day for the rest of their life. They may not ever get cataracts until 50 years later, correct? They may have early diagnosis of God. I don't know. You said it's age-related, but uh, that yeah, would be correct. the positive. Right. And, you know, the nice thing about the cataracts is we love telling people they have cataracts because they're scared, they've got blurred vision, and we tell them, look, you know, all things being equal, we can cure this blurred vision. You know? And with glaucoma... We really can't. What we can do is, is help prevent the progression. And this may not be the absolute 100% answer for glaucoma, but it is the, uh, the beginning of a new era of being able to treat it um, in somewhat of a minimally invasive fashion instead of making the big incisions on the outside of the eye uh, and then having long-term trouble with certain types of surgery. You know? and, and so it's all, everything's moving to smaller incisions, smaller implants, um, less time in surgery, less uh, recovery time, faster healing. I've got to ask one question about glaucoma. So, can it progressively get worse? If you even with, even treating with drops, you will, it could get worse and have more symptomologies as possible, right? It can. Some people have progression of glaucoma almost no matter what you do, and that's typical. 
typically people who have a have a strong family history of it have people in the family who've gone blind from glaucoma. If they have a really high pressure when they first come in or a lot of optic nerve damage. Those are people who typically get worse. And then we kind of want to throw everything at them to stop that process because, like we said a lot of times today, you know, cataracts are great. You got cataracts, we do cataract surgery, we completely cure that. It's gone forever. Glaucoma, you can't cure it. You can, you can never make it better. You can only stop it from getting worse. So the sooner we can slow it down, the better off we are. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears Down in Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealers. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, standing country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is Dr. Chris Shelby and Dr. Weiss Coleman, who are ophthalmologists here in the Shreveport-Bossier area with the Paramount Eye Institute. And if you have questions after this show, do call them at 212-3937. Again, that's 212-3937. So thank you, doctors, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. So we learned a little bit about the eye stint that people that have glaucoma, but right now they must have cataracts in addition to glaucoma to have this new eye stint uh, performed upon them, correct? Yes, I think the take-home message there is if someone's told you you got cataracts and you know you have glaucoma also, give us a call. Let's see if you're a candidate for it because it's a great option. Great, great deal. So, diagnosing cataracts. Hopefully, they come visit their ophthalmologist annually to determine if they have cataracts. Well, it's not a matter of if, but when. So, 100% <laughs> of the, the people ask you if, if are cataracts genetic. Well, in the yeah. same way that everything in the human race is genetic. So, if you live long enough, you're going to get them. One of the main rewards. Do we know what the causes, Dr. Coma? Do we know? Is it because we've been seeing bright lights? We go to concerts back when I was very younger, and that's what caused <laughs> me to have cataracts? I think it was probably those concerts. I think it was one too many Thank concerts. Thank you very Have you been to any loud concerts? Yeah, of that, course. That was probably the blinking it. lights. <laughs> the blinking lights did it. The blinking lights. Well, I, you know, know, the... Uh, but the, I was at 50 when I had mine. I mean, I'll... I'll, I'll I don't care what HIPAA says. You know, I never release my information. I was very young, I thought. Every now and then you see people who are even 40 and have cataracts, and we really don't understand why. You know, the lens, when you're born, it's like a crystal clear bag full of jello. It's like an optically empty space. As, as you age, there's proteins deposited in the lens that aren't clear. They're opaque. And the older you get, the more of those are deposited. Some people get them sooner. Some people get them later. But eventually everybody gets them. And so that's the reason that you have cataracts. It's like a metabolic byproduct. It doesn't have anywhere to go, so it stays in the lens and makes it cloudy. On what you eat, the Mediterranean diet, which I probably, all that olive oil probably clouded up my... my, my sack up there in the eye sack, correct? No, well, it, it, may, it may have clouded your lens, but it cleared your artery. That's it. True, true. <laughs> yeah. So when a person comes to your your eye clinic and is examined, and first of all, they say, Doc, I want new glasses. I'm getting blurry vision here, right? But you determine that they might have cataracts, so they do have cataracts. They generally come in. The, the, the normal progression of cataracts is um, people either wear glasses or they're not wearing glasses, and they come in they notice a vision change, whether it be... Up close, they have glare at nighttime. They're just not seen as well. And so, of course, we do a refraction, which is the what's better one or two. And most people have normal changes over time. 
And so uh, what generally happens is they get new glasses. Um, we have their maximum corrected vision, and it's just not good. You know, they still say, God, I just can't see as well. And that being said, I had a patient Friday who was 20-20. So for all intents and purposes, you would think she's got perfect vision. Mm-hmm. But like Dr. Coleman, her vision's much better than 20-20 naturally. So for her, 20-20 is blurry. And wow. so you update the glasses, say, okay, these should work well. If you're still having symptoms of cataracts that affect your quality of life, meaning you stop doing things you like doing because you don't see it as well, then it's time to consider cataract surgery, especially if there's nothing else going on like glaucoma or macular degeneration or diabetic changes that can cause blurred vision. And cataract surgery is a great option. And this is done now, tell our listeners, uh, some of them are... Uh, who have never had this feel like it's a major surgery, but it's microsurgery, correct? It's not. It's surgery, but it's not. Well, like Dr. Stan Shelby said, it's all minor surgery unless it's on him. Then it's major <laughs> surgery. <laughs> it's on you. Yeah, right. right. Okay. So it won't hurt me a bit. So okay. explain to our listeners. Um, I've been there, done that, but I want you to explain to them in, in clinical terms that you know it's not that it's a complex procedure, but it's the technology today of, of eye care and eye treatments have made it. Uh, as you were saying, very little complications, and they're going to come out amazingly like me, seeing like 2010. Well, it's like the tagline I saw somewhere. It ain't easy. We just make it look easy. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we don't like to downplay it too much, but, yeah, cataract surgery, we do a lot of it now. It's pretty quick. The total time in and out, it's not an inpatient procedure. From the time you walk in the door to, w- to the time you walk out the door, is typically under three hours. Um, you get a little medicine through the IV to help you relax. The total procedure time, as you know, you've had it done, is about 10 or 15 minutes in most cases. There's really not any pain associated with it. There's just a little burn at the beginning whenever we numb the eye up. After that, you just feel some pressure and a lot of water flowing over the eye. So uh, most people, it's not a bad experience at all. People are usually very anxious about the first eye, but they're ready to get the second eye done because they realize it's not a big deal and they're going to see a lot better afterwards. So, you know, people worry about feeling pain. You know, the eye is very easy to anesthetize. You can completely numb the eye very easily. So typically after we do that, that, after we put some drops in and numb the eye, you don't really feel anything else after that. So typically it's not that big of a deal. So explain to, our listen- explain to our listeners again about the, the, the lenses. I thought that's um, the choice of lenses, decision of lenses now. And right. And the and technology has changed. It has. And, and as you know, Gary, you know, when you came in, <clears throat> it's like, okay, Gary, you got some cataracts going on. You've worn contacts for a while. A long while. Right. A long, long time. And, you know, we say, how do you want to see after the cataract surgery? And based on that, that will dictate our recommendations for the type of implant because it's really not the type of implant we're putting in. It's the ultimate result we're looking for. And with you, of course, the monovision, one-eye distance and one-eye near, um, the normal standard lens that we put in, which is optically perfect, but it just allows for either distance or near vision was the best choice for you. And then if we have to treat astigmatism, then we can still use that lens or a toric lens for the same results. You know? And so the, if you had decided you wanted both eyes to see distance and near, then we have the multifocal lenses. Wow, that's the latest greatest, right? Mm-hmm. And that those have been evolving rapidly over time to try and mimic you know, what God gave you, which is still uh, not easy to do, but it's one of the best options to be able to see at a distance and read up close with both eyes without glasses. Without, and that's the important thing you need to tell our listeners. It's without glasses normally, correct? That's the goal we're trying to get to, yeah. And we're getting better and better at it. We actually have a new model now 
of the multifocal lens that is, uh, you know, one of the disadvantages of the multifocal lens is that it reduces some contrast sensitivity because there's some splitting of light. There's actually prism rings in the multifocal lenses that put a simultaneous image and focus on your retina at distance and at up close reading distance. So there's some splitting of light. So when you when it gets to like dusk, when there's low light conditions or in fog, you, you may have some compromise in vision with the older multifocal lenses. Well, they have a new one out that compromises almost no contrast sensitivity. So I'm, fly, I'm pilot to fly airplanes, as you know, and I see a lot of pilots in the clinic. And before this, I would have never put a multifocal lens in a pilot. I thought it was a bad idea because you really need to see, be able to see traffic at dusk. You don't want to be able to – you don't want to reduce that contrast sensitivity at all. That's true for motorcyclists, hunters. You know, you need to be, be able to see a deer on a tree line at dusk. Well, the newer multifocal lens – almost takes away no contrast sensitivity and gives you pretty good up close. It's not quite as good up close, but it's way better than nothing, and it almost has no compromise at distance. So I think it's a great option for people who are outdoorsy people and do a lot of do a lot of active things. That's a good point. Outdoorsy people that definitely need those kind of... <clears throat> is that a word? Well, yeah, it is here in Louisiana. You know, the, uh, <laughs> it, it's interesting Dr. Coleman said that because the compromise that you get when you put a monofocal lens in at a distance is you lose all your near. Matter of fact, our unhappiest patients, as, as Dr. Coleman can attest to, are those that are real nearsighted. And so they, they have these dense cataracts. They can see up close, mm-hmm. but their best corrected distance vision is horrible. And so we correct that distance vision, and they've lost all their near. And they could be better than 20-20 at a distance, but it's a frustration to not be able to see up close. Oh. And so with cataract surgery, even with the perfect outcomes, there's a bell curve of normal sight at distance and up close. And we try to keep people uh, well within that bell curve. So normally they're not having to use glasses for a lot of the normal things. But even in a perfect situation, occasionally they're using readers for certain distances. You know, so we're trying to find that, that great compromise. And the newest one Dr. Cole was talking about truly does uh, allow that really sharp distance and good intermediate uh, vision without glasses. Okay, before we um, close out here... What's the latest of changes in LASIX uh, to correct vision? Is that still being done quite a bit? Oh, yeah, and we just got a new laser. We got the latest and greatest laser. I have no idea how much it costs. It looks very expensive. <laughs> uh, and uh, and, and it basically, it's the greatest technology in the world for LASIK. We also, we also and have... And LASIK, Dr. Coleman, help tells, tell people, helps correct... Without it, having, right, go ahead. Right, to get you out of glasses or contacts. So typically cataract surgery is in the older population. LASIK's in the young, younger population. That's not 100% true across the board, but in general terms, that's true. LASIK is where we reshape the cornea. Reshaping the cornea. To take away any farsightedness, nearsightedness, or astigmatism somebody might have. And it's more precise than it was in, year, in, in many years ago when Much it was more. Trial, trial and error, correct? Yeah, it's getting better all the time. And, you know, a new, a new system we got is called the Pinacam, and, not to go into too much detail, but we can measure the cornea in the, in the eye in a way we could never measure it before. So we're seeing a lot of people who've previously in the past been told they weren't a candidate for LASIK. And now that we can take a measure, better measurement of the eye, we see that they actually are. So even for people who've been told it's not a possibility, it may be worth looking at again nowadays. Uh, I'm going to definitely have you all back. I have so many questions I want to ask you. But one person wanted to know about his mother has macular degenerative Generation, case of the word. Is there anything they can do to stop the progression of that? Um, that's usually in the in the field of the retina specialist, but it depends on what type it is. Um, the good news is the wet macular generation, where you have the bleeding leakage that causes sudden dramatic changes in vision, can be treated with injections. It sounds horrible, but I mean, it actually works incredibly well. 
Uh, there's some forms of the dry that really the only thing to do is to use supplements like ICAPS, Occuvite, Preservision. And what that does is that helps prevent the progression. And we do have some uh, a practitioner, uh, Dr. Jones over at uh, Dr. Coleman's office at South, um, does some low vision uh, aids where he can use glasses, telescopes, things like that to help improve the day-to-day living. You know, and that's the best option as far as that's concerned. Well, thank both of you for coming on today's radio show. I learned a lot of new stuff about the new and technology and eye treatment care, and especially the eye stint. Wow, that's fascinating. And it's offered now here in the Shreveport and Bossier City area. That, that I want to give you kudos on learning that particular skill. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it was a, a little learning curve there to learn that particular technique, and now it can be implemented to patients throughout the, the Shreveport and Bossier City area. Again, thank you for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. And I do want to get mention the phone number, 212-3937. Is there one of their primary office numbers? So and 212-5901. So I'm at a different location. I'm at Wall right. South. He's at Piermont. Well, we have a spot over at North, of course, Dr. Lewis. Right. Well, again, thank you for joining us today. It was quite educational and quite informative. Always fun. Thank you, Gary. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A-Bears, standing country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, here on News Radio 710 Keel. Thank you for listening to our show today. Join us next Saturday on our show for another interesting information to benefit you or your loved one. Please thank our sponsors and advertisers who do support our radio show and our news magazine, The Best of Times. Don't forget to pick up your copy of our magazine at one of our 522 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great week. And again, thank you for listening to our show today. We appreciate you listening to The Best of Times Radio Hour and picking up our issue at one of our 522 distribution locations. As I mentioned, do remember that our silver pages will come out on March the 1st of this year, and I hope that you'll enjoy that particular important resource directory available to various seniors and mature adults and their families throughout the the northwest Louisiana area. I'm Gary Caligas, wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. You've been listening to the best of times on 710 Keel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for the best of times. This is News Radio 710 Keel, K E E L, Shreveport Bossier.